Hey, it's John, Cut Above Horror Review, episode number 58. We are talking about from 1990, Misery. Yeah, uh, starring James Caan, the late great James Caan, and Kathy Bates. And we've got special guest with us, Nicole, from the Light and Shadow Horror Podcast for a fifth time. So kick back, relax, enjoy episode 58, uh, Cut Above Horror Review. It starts right now. The cocky duty car. Cut my life into pieces. Good evening and welcome to a Cut Above Horror Review, a podcast where we review all things horror. I'm your host, Jacqueline, and tonight we'll be discussing the film Misery from 1990. But first, let's meet everyone else on the show. First up, it's our favorite guest, Nicole. What's up, Yay! Nicole? I'm a five-timer. Yeah. I'll be expecting my blazer in the mail. Mm-hmm. A letterman's jacket and uh, some pins and keychains and all kinds of merch that we don't have yet, but we will. <laughs> yeah, just make it retroactive whenever it happens. Yeah, like a swag bag. Just yes. Full of swag. A swag bag. That's it. So this is what happens when you don't do reviews on your podcast. We just keep having you on our pad- podcast so we can hear all this stuff that we want to hear you say. We want to hear you talk about these movies. So you got to come on our show to do it. That does happen. I And I am thankful for that, especially when I don't have regular stuff coming out. It makes me very happy to be talking about it somewhere. <laughs> well, thank you once again for making time to come back on our show and, and talk with us. We appreciate your time and your um, ever insightful uh commentary yes we do and next up it's hydroberg what's going down what's going down guys how you doing pretty good pretty good <laughs> pretty, i went to a uh, sick concert the other day yeah what was it it was a rooftop uh venue in the city in new york city with the brooklyn bridge in the background it's pretty dope it was iration uh atmosphere and a band called the grouch it was really good really good vibes Cool. That sounds yeah. like a great setting. Yeah, it was a good weekend. Awesome. Sounds like you had a good time. And last up, it's John. Hi, guys. Nicole, thank you so much, Five Timer. Uh, we're actually going to give you an award for the person that has come on the podcast more than anybody else. And <clears throat> I think you're you're officially part of the family now. So uh, thank you, Nicole, for coming. And Hydroberg, okay? yeah, th- th- those were some awesome pictures that you took and posted on your socials. Awesome, dude. So that's a lot of fun. So everybody, here we go. <laughs> I thought of you, John, actually. Uh, Iration, they're a, they're a California group. Are they really? Yeah, they have a real like, California vibes to them. Sort of sublimish or slightly oh. stupid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're a really good group. Cool. I shaved, start the show. I shaved for you guys today because we had that yeah, little text so going on. It's like, oh, I look so handsome. You do look quite handsome. I feel I like you need old. to put on a suit and go somewhere nice. Well, hold, on. hold on. Let me put these on. Oh, hey. Oh, look at that. He's got some nice glasses looking very dapper. Professor Richards in the Mm -hmm. building. We will Mm -hmm. take all your opinions more seriously now. with (laughs) As long as you don't say I look smarter. I mean, that's just like, do I look stupid normally? (laughs) No comment. You look more professorial. Oh, thank you. Mm. Yeah, that's true. All right. My favorite dinosaur, the professorial. (laughs) <laughs> that was a dad joke yeah i know 
Brunch. It was a good one, though. Brunch. <laughs> you guys ready to talk about misery? I am, but I got some news. All right. I'm going to make you very, very happy, Jacqueline. We're talking about the new creature feature starring Idris Alba called Beast. It's coming yes. out. Ooh. Uh, what is it? Two weeks in theater. Two weeks, really? Oh, yeah. Oh. Is, the, is the Beast talking about the lion or Idris Alba himself? Mm. Oh, it's Idris. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ask Jacqueline. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is it just two hours of him washing his face? Oh my god! <laughs> I'd watch that. I'd pay twelve bucks at the theater to watch that. I didn't realize. I, I looked up stuff about Idris Alba. He's like a DJ. He's an actor. He's a writer. He's a producer. He does everything. Dude's like a quadruple threat or whatever. Yeah. So, He's got a melange of talents. Mm-hmm. He does have a melange of talents. Melange. Hey, hey, Jacqueline, speaking yes. of Idris and Stephen King, did you see the Dark Tower that he was in? Where he was Roland? I did not. I knew of it, but I didn't see it because I haven't read those books. Mm-hmm. And so I just I feel like I am not clued in on that part of the universe. Well, me neither, really. Like mm-hmm. I had read the first one and like the movie didn't do well, but he was really good in it. So you mm-hmm. might need to just go ahead. I mean, he's a he's a cowboy. Isn't McConaughey? In I mean, which is a good look. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he's the villain, I believe. He's the uh, uh, the dark the dark man. Yeah, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, it's I'll worth it a, a watch try. for you. I would say. <laughs> I would try it then. I mean, as long as I don't have to be like f- filled in on all on all the books, because I feel like there's no, so I much mean, detail in that universe that like, how can you do a movie of it? But. It's like it, watching any fantasy movie and like apparently there's stuff in it that if you've read the books, the plot makes a little more sense. But like it's kind of a mess of a movie because there's a lot going on. But it's still I was like, I mean, I was entertained. I'm like, was it okay. great cinema? No, but I was entertained. Well, that's 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 good to know, though. I, I think that's that passes the threshold for me to want to watch it. So I'll go for it. Yeah, and And the rest of the Dark Tower is sort of in development hell and like everybody wants to see a series and it's been at Amazon and it's been at HBO and nobody can get it greenlit. So you're probably not going to get another one for a while. So a series makes the the most sense. You know, you might be right about that, Hyderberg. Maybe they should do it as a series. Yeah, I I thought back to that, too. I mean, if they did what they did with uh, the stand, Mick Harris actually directed the TV series. Mm -hmm. But since we have streaming, I mean, why wouldn't you put it on like Hulu or, uh, you know, Amazon Prime or something like that? Yeah. 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 Well, people want to, but it just hasn't happened yet. So, well, it uses a lot of licensing, right? Like the. From the, I'm not that familiar with Dark Tower, but there's a, it, it crosses over like other genres and other it breaks the fourth it, wall, I believe. Right. It basically. And again, I've not read the series. I've only read the first one. But from what I understand, Stephen King ties like his entire universe like is held together by the Dark Tower. But so aren't there other the, properties mentioned, too, that aren't his? Uh, I don't know. Well, I, I mean, I wasn't positive. Maybe because it's because I do think like there there's. I just don't even know getting into all this, but like there's like a whole bunch of different worlds and like earth is one of the worlds. And so there okay. is probably some like, like pop culture crossovers. Cause he does that in his other books with pop culture crossovers. So it does make sense that he would reference like other fantasy properties. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. anyway, listeners, if you want to go down a fantasy rabbit hole, read the dark tower series. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to see be... yourself as a sexy cowboy, just watch the movie. Yep. 
There yeah, that could be like a whole separate podcast, though, going off on the, the dark tower. Mm-hmm. You I'm guys curious. need to like jump on that. It's called the Idris Alba hour or something. Like okay, that. <laughs> that would be the Elba hour. The Elba, Elba hour. hour. <laughs> but back to the beast. Have you guys seen the trailer yeah. for the beast? Uh-huh. Yeah, I saw it at Nope. I mean, it, it yeah, played, uh, before Nope. What do you guys think about it? Looks pretty solid. Yeah, it does. Yeah, actually looks frightening. I mean, the CGI kind of looks cheesy a little bit, but actually it looks pretty intense i don't know i think it looks good and you know what it reminds me of jurassic park the first one there were a couple of shots that seemed like totally lifted like the people in the trapped in the car and then it comes down or like it it's like faces in the window but it's real because a couple of things like that yeah you're like in the serengeti or something like that and it Mm -hmm. it seems very uh more down to earth than what jurassic park was well yeah i mean there's a stretch but still like you know edible people being pursued by hungry beasts you know the behavior patterns of like the lion remind me of the ghost in the darkness uh plot which is a movie you guys ha- you told me you haven't seen but yeah, john you might have seen it but yeah i saw it a long time ago it actually gave me the vibes of cujo like a rabid lion a little bit hmm. speaking of okay. king, so. Stephen king, yeah. um, tying it back in yeah a little bit well, I think it looks around. I think it looks great. If I have the chance to go see it in the theater, I definitely will. Oh, I know you will. <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> uh, I, I'm actually going to throw this one to Hyderberg because this past weekend, huh? uh, the prequel to Predator came out. It's called uh, Prey. Oh. Uh, I've been hearing really good things about this. Just without spoiling it, Hyderberg, what do you think of it? I really dug it. Uh, it's a shame that it didn't get a theatrical release because I think it would have been good in the theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does a lot of new things with um, Predator that uh, just makes sense. You know, it kind of it's a prequel sort of just, I don't know, sets the franchise back in a, in a good position to possibly do something else after. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it just could be its own standalone little story with the Predator. But um, I really liked it. I like the female lead and I like the command being based around the Comanche um, Indians and Native Americans. Okay. It was like set in the 1700s or something like that. Yes, it is. Okay. But but I did not read any of the spoilers, but there's a lot of Easter eggs from previous movies, right? There are. Yeah. If you're astute to like the Predator lore, then you'll pick up on some things. Definitely. Okay. But you don't need to be. It's just a good film. Nicole, are you a Predator watcher? Um, You know, I've seen a couple <laughs> of them. Um, and I will say whenever I saw that there was a new one on Hulu, I was like, Ooh, there's a new predator movie. Like it sort of piqued my interest. So I might have to like, you know, pop some popcorn and have a fun movie night or something with it. Get to the chopper. <laughs> now you need to get down to the Those that like my husband was familiar with and like interested in. So like, I don't know that I would have ever re- like rewatched it since just like seeing it on TV as a kid, but like he wanted to watch it. And so I was like, okay, this is like horror adjacent. Like, let's go. And we had I a lot of fun. It's, so. it's a really good, um, this new one is a really good husband and wife uh, watch. I think that you can both enjoy it. Okay. Even if you're not into Predator, like I think there's enough there to just be like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah, it's entertaining for for the all. Acting's good. Like it's not just cheesy acting followed by you know great action scenes. It's actually all pretty good. Nice. And there's a sweet dog in it. Oh. I, I got to tell you is that actually I loved Predator too more than I loved the original. Mm-hmm. I, I just loved the urban setting of it. It was just like you know chaos going on. It was summertime. It was hot. It was like. You know, there was something about that movie. Plus, Danny Glover's like freaking awesome. So, yes, 
that's what I loved about the second one more. Uh, this is not necessary, but three new sequels to The Strangers are going to start production next what? Yeah, All at the same time? Yeah. I think they're just like taking on this. Um, I think a lot of Hollywood movies are actually starting to go with the whole vibe of, you know, you got to get something out new every six months rather than every year or two. That it's just, we have to put everything into production. We're going to film it one right after another and then just release them, see how they do. Uh, so the strangers, did mm. you guys say, uh, see that, uh, what was it? Strangers pray by night, pray, pray at night or something. That was like the that. second one, right? Yeah. Yes. I, uh, I thought that was largely forgettable. Yeah. yeah. I never seen it. Uh, the first one uh, to me was just like, excellent. It was yeah. like, I love great. the yeah. first one. Me too. Love it. I don't know. The so... first one did something different. Uh, and then they made another one that didn't do anything different. So I don't, you know, it doesn't, it kind of ruins, doesn't ruin the first one, but it's just like, what are you doing? Like, just do something like, new. Who is asking for sequels to this? Who is asking turning it for into like the purge? You're going to make three, three more of them. Yeah. I guess they're oh. doing the same thing with insidious too. <clears throat> yeah. Oh my God. Don't really have five of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a new one. I, apparently. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, and Patrick Wilson is directing the next one, which is that's kind of interesting to see what he will do with it. But yeah, he's the actor from the first one, right? Yeah, he's the actor who's been in all of them. But like, I don't I watched the I think I watched the first three. And so I haven't seen like the last two. I liked the first two Insidious movies, but then I was kind of out after that. I'm exactly the same as Unicol. As long as they put Lynn Shea in it, I'm fine. She's awesome. But but will they? I mean, probably she's in like most of them. She'll show up if they ask her. She'll show up. Yeah, yeah. she's the key. That was a king. Something about Mary. Yeah, no, it was kingpin. Oh, kingpin. Yeah, that's right. She was the landlady or whatever. She was. Well, I was excited about um, the beast. I got excited about predator or prey. I'm not excited about three strangers sequels. Yeah, Mm. we almost had a climax there. As Meatloaf would say, two out of three ain't bad. Mm. Wow, nicely done. Thank you. That's all I got. Sorry, Jacqueline. Uh, just real quick, I saw Bullet Train. I saw an advanced screening of it last Tuesday. How was it? Pretty good. It's like smoke and aces on a train, which I'm not trying to say it's unoriginal, but it, you know, it's 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 an idea that's kind of been done before, like different types of people on different jobs sort of meet up, their paths cross, and you know, craziness ensues, but you know, Brad Pitt's in it. So that's my man crush right there. I could watch him wash his face for a long time. <laughs> he, he's looking kind of scraggly in that movie, he too, is. right? Yeah. yeah I he's always sort of like, like not on top of things. He's sort of like, okay. Yeah. I like, like a kind of a, sort of down uh, on his luck. Yeah. Sort of disheveled, disheveled, like bumbling Brad Pitt. Like yeah. that's always fun. Yeah. It's interesting to see that. And there's just a great ensemble cast of uh, other actors that were all really good. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I don't mean to bring everything down, but th- it was the big news today is that uh, the icon yeah. Olivia Newton-John mm. passed away at the age of 73. So, um, you know, Greece obviously was just such an iconic movie. And me, I'm not a big musical fan, but I know what she did. She mm. was she, she was like Beyonce before Beyonce. She was J-Lo before J-Lo. You know, she was, was an icon. It was, she, yeah, she I was. Mean, she, she was a singer. She was an actress. You know, she did so much and, you know, it's kind of so pour one out for her for sure. Yeah, that, that news really bummed me out. Yeah, I know. I, I saw it all over social media and people 
you know, I understand again, I wasn't a Greece fan, but I understand what it, what it holds in people's, you know, uh, childhood or, or hearts of what it did for them. You know, that, that summer love, whatever it was, but it, mm-hmm. you know, it was sad to hear today. So, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't mean to bring it down. I'm sorry. My bad. Yeah. Heidelberg, have you seen Greece? I have. And I used to have uh, friends in high school. A lot of the girls, that was like their go-to movie. Like plenty of times you would come over the house and you'd go upstairs and go in the bedroom and all the girls were there watching Greece, like for the 18th time. Yeah. That was was just their thing to go to. Nicole, what about you? Oh yeah. I, uh, I discovered it in like maybe middle school and, um, with my little cousin who was like maybe eight or nine at the time. And so she and I both just like really loved it and watched it multiple times. So I'm also not really a musical fan, but that, but Grace just, I don't know. It, it's just fun and totally watchable. So I was a big fan when I was younger. Yeah. Here's a little piece of nerd trivia about me. When I was in high school, I was so obsessed with the movie Grease that, um, well, and also Rocky Horror, but for both of those movies, I um, was part of like an online role-playing game, which was like basically like a listserv with like a bunch of people. And we would like each play a character and then write like a part as our character. And then we had to like respond to the story as it went along. So it was basically like fanfic. I was just going to say that. <laughs> but each person was like assigned a character. So I did a Grease online rpg and a rocky horror online rpg nerd alert super that cool sounds in high school. awesome <laughs> so in rocky horror i was janet and in um in greece i was marty maraschino <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's fun yeah You're the one that i want ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> oh yeah honey all right let's move I'll on you too, so. i feel really awkward right now <laughs> <laughs> is that it for news john that's it all right. Well, Hyderberg, this film was your pick. It was. Would you, like to, would you like to tell us why you chose it? I'd like to tell you that, like, I thought about it a lot and, like, I planned this for this one episode to feature this movie. But I kind of just added in last minute last week um, with James Conn's passing recently. I just and then John letting us know that Shutter just got a shitload of uh, James, I mean, um, Stephen King films. I just thought, yeah, why not? It's readily available for most people that have Shudder. Mm-hmm. There's probably some people out there who haven't seen Misery or given it a chance, maybe, you know, like some newcomers to yeah. horror or people that are just starting to, you know, come into the fold and figure out what, you know, what the 90s had to offer, if anything. Yeah. And this is one of those films. Um, and it's just it's an iconic film. Uh, Kathy Bates. You know, what can I say? I don't yeah. want to get too far into it. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you picked it. And I hope that there's somebody out there who heard that we were covering it and had not seen it before. Yeah, like and Logan. just watched it for the first time. I Oh, I wonder if Logan is going to watch it. I Probably. don't know if she's seen it before. Action, but... Yeah. Well, I, if it's if it's anybody's first time watch, then I salute you. And pause the podcast great... right now and go watch the film. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So while we're at it, let's just go ahead and uh, drop the spoiler warning since Heidelberg kind of kicked that off. John. <laughs> <laughs> All right. uh, we are going to be know. talking about misery from 1990 in its entirety. If you have not seen this movie, which is over 30 years old, pause the podcast, go watch it on shutter, which is ready, readily available. Come back to find out what we thought about it. So, made me feel old. <laughs> uh, me too, but still, I know. Don't we have another well, segment. Before? Yeah, 
We Let's do. decide whether it fucks or sucks. Hyderberg. Um, I can go first. I was going to let our guests go, but I'll go. Um, this is most certainly a fuck for me. It's the type that constantly calls you the next day and gets really awkward and clingy, though. But it's a <laughs> fuck for sure. Okay. Nicole, what say you? Um, yeah, it fucks. I mean, it's it's a great movie. It's a classic for a reason. Even if you haven't seen this movie, you probably know bits and pieces of it from pop culture. It's it's a good one. Mm-hmm. John? A cocky duty fucks. Uh, <laughs> I nice, love John. it. Nice. That was our intro, too, by the way. Um, <laughs> oh, sweet. Wow. I, I just... I don't remember. I've seen this movie maybe three times in my entire life. Really? I, oh. I do not remember enjoying it as much as I did recently as watching it. And it holds up. Awesome. It does. Mm-hmm. And we'll get more into it. But Jacqueline, what do you think? What Does this movie fuck or suck? I mean, it just absolutely fucks. I mean, it's I think it's just really a crowd pleaser type of movie. I don't know anybody who like hates this movie. I think it's very accessible to people it's not too gory it the story is very compelling and um i think it's it's something that people can watch even if they're not into horror um you know i feel like it's kind of it's really a crowd pleaser i mean i feel like almost anybody could watch this and rob reiner directed this motherfucker i mean didn't he do a league of their own which i love they did Um, and he did stand by me yeah, exactly. yeah. So it's just one like, of my favorite movies yeah. from when I was a kid. A lot of people's favorite movies from yeah. their childhoods with good reason. Absolutely. So, yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I this was one of those weeks when I was not at all doubting <laughs> what anybody was going to say during fucks or sucks. Sometimes <laughs> I'm questioning, but this week I was like, I think I know what everybody's going to say. So anyway, Heidelberg, do you have a reach around for us? To I summarize do. the plot. It's a little bit of a long one. All right. It's almost like I wrote a novel. Good. Oh. oh. Mm. Hyderberg, you know I'm your number one fan. Oh, my Miseries God. Miseries reach around. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, you ready? This is awesome. Paul Sheldon was a famous novelist who hated his main protagonist. Creative stagnation made him pissed. He wanted awards and to be on the lists of the most iconic authors known to man. But first, he didn't counter his number one fan. A fateful crash would cross their paths. She saved his life and made him laugh. She mended his wounds and cured his ills, commended him on his writing skills. Till one day Paul saw it through the cracks, kept against his will the time it did lapse. Days turned into weeks and weeks into a year. Annie's psychosis had become more severe. His main character's name had become his worst fear because Annie kept him medicated most dizzily. Now Paul is a prisoner of his own misery. So he does as he's told and writes a new novel but Annie isn't happy and makes Paul have to hobble. It's enough for our writer to want this fan dead, plotting how to drop a typewriter on her head. For his number one fan just went too far. He never should have gotten out that cock duty car. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Heidelberg, I think that might have been one of your like top three ever. Well, at least of the year, I was thinking. But I think mm, that's got to be ever. Um, year two. All right. Ever. Um, yeah. So that was amazing. Good. That was so good. Oh, I just want to get this that off. That was like from, mic drop. Yeah. Here's the one thing is that we lost Betty White this past year. You know, she she is a cultural icon. She's an American hero. I think to replace a, uh, her 
as an icon is got to be Kathy Bates because what she did in this movie and everything that she did after this movie was so good. I mean, it, it's like, you're so drawn to her. You're so drawn to her. like whatever character she's playing. You're excited to see her on. Yeah. She's got presence and you just, it's so surprising to find out that this was her breakout role in film. Mm-hmm. It was like, she had done some stage stuff, I believe. And like, but yes. like, to find out that this is her first time on screen, like she's an instant star after this movie. Mm-hmm. She won the Oscar. She won the Oscar yeah. for best actress mm-hmm. for this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I love everything I've ever seen her in. Even if I didn't care for the, the film or the show itself, I always love her. No mm-hmm. matter yeah, she what. always delivers. She, she definitely brings whatever you're watching up a little bit. Like you said, even if it's not as good. Yeah, I actually, I mean this with the utmost sincerity of her playing the mom in the water boy, the Adam Sandler movie, which was like, but it's like, like she just, she commands the camera, like drawn to her because she's so, she's so good. Yeah, she can do a lot of different stuff. And she also did comedy. Like she was briefly in the office as like the CEO and her character in that was also just like one of a kind. It Mm -hmm. was great. Nicole, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was just saying, even if I don't like what she's in, I always like her. I basically hate the last three seasons of The Office, but I like when she's on it. Yeah. I love the tagline for this film. It's uh, it's just really good. I thought uh, Paul Sheldon used to write for a living. Now he's writing to stay alive. Mm. I just wow. thought that was a pretty cool tagline. Little play on words. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Not to bring it down again, but we do got to. Oh, God. James Caan. Yeah. He recently. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And also, like, he is fucking phenomenal in this film, too. I mean, agreed. Kathy Bates takes the spotlight, in my opinion. But and to, to have to act next to alongside James Caan, most of the time, only alone, the two of them side by side, you know, that's got to be tough. And then she just delivers. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I some of the trivia that I have is that um, basically this role was brought to like almost every star actor in Hollywood, the role of um, Paul Sheldon, but almost everybody turned it down because nobody wanted to like kind of play second fiddle or um, I forget who said it, but one actor was like, I don't want to be like castrated or you know what I mean? Like emasculated by this female character. Uh, That's what makes it so good though. Yeah. Yeah. Warren Beatty seems to have been like the most serious contender there. Hmm. He never said no, but it's like he never said yes either. And so it just kind of kept going on and on. And then James Conn was cast and Warren Beatty still never really said no, but it was (laughs) too late. Like this woman being like so like such a such a presence of fear for this man, like is I think that's what makes the film so good. So, yeah. okay, like get over yourself and (laughs) play the role. Because mm-hmm. it's it's just so good. I mean, she first she comes off as like caring and nurturing. And but then we just start to see like the cracks in her personality and the fact that she's fucking loony. That's what makes it so scary. Because she's so sweet. And like even the way she has her hair pulled back and her little sweaters and everything like it just makes it when she turns that much more horrifying. And it happens like on a dime at times. There's certain times where it's just like a switch went off and she just 
Oh, and you can see the look on his face. This is where his acting is really good because like even just his facial expressions, because he's just in a bed most of the time, right. but his facial expressions, when that happens, it's like, he's feeling what you're feeling. Yeah. You know, he did. He does a lot of subtle things that you're like, yep. Yep. I, I like the way the character of Paul is very street smart because he can read uh-huh. to her where she's like, so socially awkward. Um, obviously we find out later in the movie that she has a very a checkered past, if you will. I love some of the dialogue in here. I feel all oogie. <laughs> yeah. Oku, dirty birdie. <laughs> Betsy. <laughs> Cock-a-duty car. Yeah, she just doesn't want to curse. Yeah. That's her weird morality system. Yeah. It's an the first bug out that she has is when she gets on him about his new novel. And about yeah. all the curse words, right? And she's like, <laughs> just starts going. And you start to see her unraveling for a minute there. And that's where he first sees it, too. And he's like, and like you said, the look on James Conn's face is just like, he emotes like, yo, I need to figure out how to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to play she a lot. Drop, yeah. She drops that at the very end, though, when they're trying to kill each other. Doesn't she say, like, you she fucking... Calls him a co- she calls him a cocksucker. Oh, yeah, cocksucker. Yeah, yeah. she so, does. She lets it fly. Yeah. <laughs> Like the real, I, the real Annie Wilkes pops out there. So I just yeah. love also, that little tirade though that she gives, where she's like cursing but not cursing. And mm-hmm. I think, like Stephen King has some weird, he has some weird dialogue in some of his books that I think is like part down home manner and part just he's a quirky person. Yeah, and like some of that came directly from the book. And like my favorite one is where I think she calls it like. She says, like, give, give me some of that bitchly corn. Yeah, yeah. She yes. says, when I go to the general store, do I ask for some of that bitchly corn? Like, she's not even used to using curse yeah, words. Like, she yeah, like, she doesn't even cuss very well. She doesn't even use pretending. it, right? Yeah, but that's... not even a word, yeah. Yeah, that was... The, the Christing feed or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, somebody yeah. says that. Also... Yeah. I love the I love the innocence of Annie Wilkes, but you know she has a very sadistic side. You know as it progresses throughout the movie, but there's like this certain level of innocence where you're like, God, she is just so charming and sweet that you, yeah, you know it is like she's the like little Midwestern lady's house that I want to go to for Thanksgiving. Right, you know, like like her like she must have a cozy fire and like cute place settings and her hair's in the little clip or whatever. I mean, cottage core so... with Annie Wilkes. Yes. Know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So like oh, if you did you crash your it. car and you were being nursed back to health, like she seems like the ideal person to do it. Yeah. Right. You're like, fuck yeah. Like, I'll like spend oh, a... thank God a nurse rescued me. Yeah. And this I know, like that's nice the house. first. That was definitely the, cause she's like, Oh, I'm a nurse. And I put your legs back together and, we're going to call the hospital and everything's fine. And oh, and the way she delivered it was so genuine. I mean, yep. it, it felt so like you felt warm, you know, like you do. Want she's to a sociopath. Yeah. Well, I do have a question about that, too, then, like, because we slowly find out that she's got major problems. But, you know, when she finds him, there is a chance that she was following him because she lives in the area and she knows his habits. But like she didn't cause his accident. Like it just happened. It's just a happenstance. She happened to be along. She really did save his life. And so like, what do you guys think about her motivation? Like, do you think from like the get go, she was like, I'm gonna keep this man. Or do you think that she just like slowly lost it as the days went by? And when she saw what he did with misery. 
I actually thought about that, Nicole, and it was, I think that she was a stalker. She was this obsessive fan over Paul that, that it's like, she saw her opportunity to take it. And once that happened, then that's when all bets were off. That's the way I looked at it. Watching I don't, I don't know. I feel like she was an obsessive fan, but not to the point that she was stalking him. And it was sort of just fate that she came across his car. No, but how did you back that? Like he, you said, he, Nicole, he, she got him home. Yeah, but she was following him. She said she was following him. Yeah, yeah. She was? Okay. Yeah, when, when he when he crashed, she was following him. Oh, you mean like she was behind him? Yep. No, she said she was she was worried about him driving in the storm. And so and she knew she, that he was staying at the such and such place. She decided to follow him to make sure he was okay. Yeah. Yeah, but she, she said that, like, she happened to be there. Like, she didn't say, oh, yeah, I've been staked out and I followed you. She still made it sound like, you know. But she also mentioned that she went to the cottage and she would, like, look into the light of his cottage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonder what she he did. She about. did say that. She did say that. Oh. I feel like she decided to keep him definitely, though, after the misery novel. Like, yes. like that's where it feels like the movie kind of shows you that she really made that decision. I disagree a little bit because she kept giving him drugs to like keep him. Yeah, you're right. And she lied about the phones being down and the. Absolutely. So I, I, you know, she was obviously manipulative and and like you said, Heidelberg, a sociopath, you know, just, just, you know, looks like I'm just helping you out, but I'm actually keeping you here to be my lover or husband or whatever she wanted. Yeah. Paul definitely crashed his car on his own accord. She didn't cause that because. Why are you driving a fucking Mustang in a fucking snowstorm, bro? Like, he's a city boy. No, it was a bad idea. I don't know. Did not know about. the storm was coming. We I don't know. It's we, there. We already. snow out here in San Diego. We're in Colorado. <laughs> yeah, there was already a ton of snow on the ground. I thought I the same thing. I was like, it'd be different if the road was clear and you got hit with a freak storm, but like, there was already a lot of snow on the road. He, so. I've driven a rear wheel drive car. Like he was driving it like it was a normal road. He was just like, la da da da. Normally you're driving like that. You're like white knuckled, like grip into the wheel and like going real Kids, wear like your seatbelt because he was not wearing a seatbelt. No. Nah. So fucked up in the car crash. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a good actual, that's actually a good question though. Whether like at what point she really decided to go like on the deep end, over the deep end and make this decision to kidnap him. My opinion, okay. it was from the beginning. I mean, again, she she was, <laughs> you know, the whole the whole point was is that you brought up I'm your number one fan, yeah. So so you know exactly what he does. That he drinks uh, Don Perignon. He has a cigarette. No no no, it's not Don Perignon. Don Perignon. Don Perignon. Yes. Don per- <laughs> That's how she I wrote that down because Don I thought that was hilarious that she said that. But she knew exactly you know what was going on with this guy. So obviously she had this you know intention on you know, bringing him in because she felt, well, yeah, like, but she's been doing that for years. I mean, she's been probably watching him for years yeah, yeah. for what happened. So did otherwise Thanos. probably, you know, Thanos I think it made her snap once she had him at her house. And then I think the reading of the new misery novel just totally made her, her snap, you know, her psyche was just sort of like already fucked up anyway. I mean, she's a serial killer Yeah, before all this. Yeah, but she is she is his fan. And I, I think that like my my personal opinion is that I think that she, her intentions at the beginning were like at least somewhat pure like and mm-hmm. not malicious. I think it's just kind of like, 
oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. My favorite writer is here and he's in my house and I can take care of him. Maybe I'll just like try to keep him here a little longer. No, yeah. she knew no. exactly who he was because she called him yeah. Paul as soon oh, as I know that. Talking. No, I know that. Um, yeah. But she made a remark at some point where she was like, well, your legs are getting better. You're going to be walking again soon. And, you know, the, the storm is going to pass. And so you're going to be wanting to leave. And she sounds kind of resigned to it. And That's so also I think- when she reveals the pistol. I believe it's the same scene. Mm-hmm. I no. thought that was much earlier. No, she, she actually did mention the pistol, like when it was raining, like the snow starting to melt. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. The, but I think bad. she said this about him, him being ready to leave before that. Maybe. I think, I think that was even before the misery freak out. I think, I think so too. But um, so I mean, I think it's, I think it's like mostly innocent at first, like definitely overstepping boundaries, but like not necessarily malicious, like. Like if I were following Stephen King and he had a car accident and I was able to like save him, I might want him to stay a little extra time, you know? I, I know, but Jacqueline, house. Jacqueline, you don't have a diary of like, like your history of what you've done in the past. You know, she killed infants. You don't know that. Well, it's a I don't know that. It's a I'm assuming it's a, <laughs> or a scrapbook or whatever it was is like, and you find that out at the end. So that kind of ties into what had happened to him. That, you know, she was yes. hoping for an accident so she could imprison him and he would mm. be close forever. I don't think I just think, I think it was she really was looking out for his welfare, like she said. I, yeah. Yeah. I think I she, but she happens to be a sociopath. So things went, you know, they went too far. Yeah. Well, because you look at um, her history she got and you, you see where she's put herself in positions where she has opportunity to do these things. Um and so bit- even even becoming a nurse, I don't think she's like, oh, I'm going to become a nurse so I can work at a hospital and kill people. Like, I don't think that's probably what happened in her life. I think she her life progressed. And then when she was in a situation where she could have control and she could kill someone, she took advantage of it. So I just I feel the need to jump in here because I read this book about a year and a half ago. Nicole, I'm sure you've read it. I don't know how recently. Do you know you've read it, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so I, so actually I wanted to read this book specifically right after I gave birth to my last baby. Cause I was like, eh, I'm going to be laid up for a while. What's more appropriate to read than misery while I'm just like in bed for <laughs> a couple, wow. couple of weeks. Um, so actually our friend, uh, captain Ron from the Slack, he was kind enough to just send me his old copy, which I thought was, oh, really yeah, that's right. um, but anyway, so something that is explained in the book that's not conveyed in the movie is that. Um, at the time that she commits her first murder as a nurse, it's like a person who's suffering and can't die. Like they, like they're still kind of hanging on and, but they're like like very suffering killer. and it's like mm-hmm. a mercy. She kind of deems herself like this angel of mercy yeah. type of thing. And so that's how it starts in with the hospital killings. Um, She's always talking about God told me to do this. God told me to do that. I had forgotten that detail. I had forgotten that detail. And I think with the babies too, I think the first, so the first one was like uh, an elderly person. And then when she's on the maternity ward, I think there's like these sick babies that are like, I don't know. They're just like sick or malformed or something. I don't know what it is, but I I think it's a mercy thing again. I don't think it's like 
haha, I'm just going to indiscriminately kill babies. It's like she, in a sick way, she views herself as mm-hmm. some kind of savior. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, because I might be crossing my wires with a different story. But is there an insinuation that she's like giving people the wrong medication at some point? I believe so. Yeah, I, re- I, I so. seem to remember that detail. I couldn't remember if it was from this book or not, but 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 she but she also seems to yeah kind of tell her. I remember that that she kind of tells herself like, oh, well, this is okay because of this or this. Yes. And so I think that plays into the the line where she's like, "There's a higher power than that of man, and I'll or the higher justice or something than that of man. I'll be judged by him." So I think that's that's where that comes in. It's like she sees herself as righteous. So she so. said in the movie that her husband left her. But if I'm not wrong, is that her dad that she killed or was that her husband? She killed her father. Well, I think she killed both. I think she killed both. Like when you see it, uh, going uh, James Conn going through the, uh, mm-hmm. the clip. Mm-hmm. I know that she, I know that in the book, she killed her father a hundred percent. Um and I'm pretty certain that she kills her husband too. And she pushes her roommate down the stairs. Yes, that she yeah. lived with mm-hmm. in college. Because they were being loud or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The roommate was being loud. Guys, we've all been there. Come on. <laughs> True, but we've Honestly, never acted yeah. on it. <laughs> oh, I was the obnoxious roommate. Oh. <laughs> I just wanted to mention before we get ahead. I just love that one scene where she's got the she shows him the pig. And she's like making oinking, oinking noises and pig faces at him. And while yep. leaving the room, I just thought that was like, I was like, oh, my God, Kathy Bates is just off yeah. the walls right now. It was, was a great, great for it. I wasn't ready for that scene when it came on. I almost spit my water out. <laughs> this this movie actually has really good levity. I actually really love the uh, chemistry between uh, what was it? Buster? Sheriff? Yeah. Yes. Buster yes. And his wife. That I was, love them. I loved that chemistry that they had. The spiciness mm-hmm. that they had. Well, yeah. <laughs> She was just that like, spice. She's still <laughs> so in love with her husband, but it's just like he's just he's so focused on other things. But she's like, hello. You know, <laughs> she actually makes a comment that says, I'd rather be laying in bed right now with you, like rolling yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he's he's like, saucy. when you're in this car, you're my deputy. And she says, <laughs> she, I'd rather be undercover yeah. with the sheriff. She puts her hand like on his leg and he's yeah, like and hey. starts rubbing up and down. <laughs> I don't love that scene. I love yeah, they're that very too. charming. They yeah, uh, have a lot of charm to the film. They're Good ad- casting too. Yeah, the casting's great, and like their addition to this story um, is really because they're not in the novel, but they're, oh, they're perfect not? for the movie because they give us like um, I don't know, like it fulfills that little investigative piece that like you know in the book we have all the knowledge, right? Right. right. But in the movie, you don't get the benefit of that, and so I thought the two of them trying to figure it out together was like a perfect little piece. Mm-hmm. of screenwriting mm-hmm. that worked really well yeah and i like how he like eventually instead of giving up he just he decides to buy the novels and read those and then we get that like homage i um, mean that montage later of like uh paul's writing or whatever and then like you see him she's uh, annie's reading the newest pages of the new novel he's reading the old pages and like when he figures out what's going on it feels earned. It doesn't feel like just like an aha moment. Exactly. A lot of police work right. is sometimes you're you so know, right. You do in a movie where it's like, how did the cop come to that conclusion? We get we see the pieces form for this guy where he's like, oh, OK. 
Also, it was a brilliant move on Annie's part whenever he comes to her house and she's just like, God told me I'm supposed to pick up where he left yes. off. And I've been oh, writing yeah. in the style of Paul Sheldon. I was like, that is so brilliant. You like to that, say, yeah, that cover really story is so brilliant. She knew that's probably what led him there anyway. Yeah. yeah. And then he's going to see the typewriter in the typing room. Yeah, like She's the- very smart. She's not she stupid. And he's not oh. stupid at all. She's just no great. <laughs> and I feel really bad when the sheriff buys it too. Like it's yeah. awful when he fucking dies. Not just, because also for Paul. Paul thinks yes, I'm saved, and then this guy just gets blasted. His death. What a moment. So, it was so it's so hard but, to. And you know his but, wife like. Ugh. Yeah, it, it, but in a, it, was, it was cheap, but it was horrifying because it was just like he's he got his chest blown out with a shotgun, you know. And who knew that Annie had a shotgun? She said, "I've got this gun, and I thought about using it many times." And I'm, I'm glad I didn't put any bullets or or something like that. It was just, I, I do want to go back to a scene that I really, really enjoyed. And it just made me chuckle is that the wife is actually organizing uh, Buster's desk. And it's just like, no, I've got a, I, I've got a, a, routine. Got a system. <laughs> I, I got a system here. Oh, there it is. And he goes, right where it should, should be. be. <laughs> um, I just thought that yeah. was a great scene. It made me chuckle. Very good. Yeah. And so relatable. I feel like their their yeah. little old couple bickering is like so oh relatable. God. But you love um, them together. You were just I, like, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So drawn to these. Because it's not like real fighting. It's just like right. little married people crap, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's upsetting when when Buster dies because you know he was the hope that we had for James Con to get rescued, and plus we like him. We don't want anything bad to happen to him. But even though he gets killed in a way that still kind of leads to his salvation, because because then people know he's there. Somebody's going to come looking for him, and so they know that they have to like fight it out right now um, because. He's like, oh, uh, by dawn, I'll finish the thing. And so because he knows they both know that somebody else is going to be coming. And so it was very smart on his part to do because yes. she was going to kill them both at any That's moment. Not, yeah, they're both. Very, so it was a, it was like a physical match between them. And it was like a match of a battle of wits. Yeah. Did you well, notice too- also like he would when he was brave enough, got brave enough to just like give her sarcasm. You know, like mm-hmm. those were those were great moments, too. They had, you know, like little little bar little barbs. In yeah. each other, which was great. When he finally started standing up to her, it was like, Ooh. "Is there anything else from the store that you need in order to put this together?" Like, <laughs> so that's and- that part actually like made me really uncomfortable because it's yeah. like the hot. Yeah. It was after the hobbling scene where he just went like, "You know what? Fuck you! I'm done." <laughs> well, yeah, the hobbling he scene is such a horrific. Kid. Oh my god! Oh my god! I, 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 yeah. I actually read something about the hobbling scene in the book that it was actually he got his feet chopped off. Yeah, it was an axe. Yeah. Yeah. It was an axe and it was only one foot. She only cut off one foot. And I believe Rob Reiner wanted to do something different. But but they only showed one foot being hobbled. They do. Right. That's what's so great but about it, it though. It's insinuated that the other yeah. one, because she, she it is. rears back yeah. and gets the yeah. other one. But they didn't I do show, know that they, they the used one. like practical effects for that. And like mm-hmm. they used some type of rubber silicone like type of fake foot but yeah they purposely kept the camera on it to watch the first one break because it looks very realistic and then i remember reading about them saying yeah they they cut to not show the other one because they didn't need to you already saw what it did right and like you just see her go over to the other one and she's given her little bit of dialogue which is so horrible and james kind of sells it like just on his face and then you hear the sound effects of her Mm -hmm. swinging again and the bone crunching and you know you know what happens 
I think the whole thing is so perfectly done. You have like the Moonlight Sonata playing yeah. solemnly yeah, in the background. I too. And she looks like she's carrying out a sacred duty of some yeah. sort, or that's what she like believes. And he's like trying to keep calm. He's like, Annie, whatever you're thinking of doing, please don't do it. You know, and he's yeah. like trying to keep it together. Like please. it's so hard. And- it's a brutal scene. In the story that she tells about the diamond mines, like she just takes her time to sort of yeah. like calmly. Like she's done this, this is before. What we do like, yeah. Is the whole scene is very. It's a tense. tense what tops scene. it off for me is the zoom in of her face, and she goes, "God, I love you." Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought like she's doing this out of love, so out of love. But but I want to bring that up with the cinematography of every time that she goes into one of her spats, it's almost like a lowered zoom right to the face. When she tells the Rocket Man story. Right, exactly. But throughout the movie, even even when she's like like um you know totally messed up and and they're having that big fight at the end, is that that zoom up to her face is that you see the psychoticness that is so beautifully shot that it's like wow. I wonder it's if that's supposed framework. to be like uh like we are seeing it from like Paul's perspective mm-hmm. because that's throughout the entire thought. movie yeah. she's looming over him. He's never, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. standing up next to her. Right. Yeah, because yeah, he can't. He can't stand. It's a very like vulnerable and powerless position to be in. Yeah, absolutely. Um and and so you guys were kind of you kind of touched on this before, but I just want to emphasize again, like uh Paul Sheldon, the role of Paul Sheldon is not as flashy of a role as Annie Wilkes, but I think it's a very complex and interesting role. And I think James Caan really does it justice. I think, um, so. I think it takes a lot of control to, to play that character and not overplay it. Um, but also it's really hard to act and to like convey all these different things when you're just like lying in a bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a testament to his acting. You guys were talking about his, his amazing like facial expressions yeah. and totally he plays like her adversary and a friend at the same, like he's trying not, he's trying not to cross a line because he doesn't want to get fucking punished and he doesn't want to give us, you know, he doesn't want to show his hand cause he's trying to plot his way out of there, but you know, he's fucking crippled at the moment. So mm-hmm. he's, he doesn't have many options. So like, I love like, he gets her to go out of the house. Eventually he figures out how to get her out of the house. Then he decides I'm going to snoop around. I think you know, he tries was... to pick a lock, which he's only seen in movies and it fucking works. Well, yeah. no, he said he wrote about it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've written about this. That's great. Yeah. No, um, what do you know? And I love that scene of him wandering around the house, trying to figure things out, like where everything mm-hmm. is and what's working and not working. And I, th- what's I think one problem that I had with it was like when he realized that the drugs were just knocking him out, he tasted it and he's just like, Oh, I know what this is, and then put it in that little. That's not what I think. I think he tasted it to think, will she taste it when I put it in? Yeah. Okay, I didn't pick Mm -hmm. up on that because he's going to add a bunch of it together at once, and will she taste it? Almost like he knew what it was, though. I mean, it it just didn't set up very well for me. So. So I have to I have to insert some info about the book again, and something that I like. I understand why this wasn't included; it would just be too much. But there's a major aspect of the book. That is really interesting. Um, and that is Paul Sheldon's like addiction to the painkillers. Oh. So he has a history in the in the story, he has a history of substance abuse, hmm. but he's been clean for a while. And now she's giving him these painkillers for the pain, and he is totally dependent on them. And I think that might actually be what drives his first venture out of his room. It's not like, oh, how can I escape? It's like he's looking for drugs because he's 
she hasn't oh, given him his pills in a while. And the way that Stephen King describes his physical need for the drugs is so palpable. It's like almost as like visceral to read as like the descriptions of his pain when she like yeah. hurts him. Um, but it's like, I feel like it's almost an equal part of his suffering in the story is his like his like when because there are times when she will just like deny him the medication to punish him and it's like torture it's like he'd rather be he'd rather have her like chop his foot off than to be without the drugs well see like the scene that that was the thing though is that stephen king included a lot of his own personal life into his books i mean because he was a severe alcoholic right yes Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. Um, drug abuse Yes. Drug abuse. Absolutely. And the thing was, is they didn't portray that, that, that James, the, the Paul character figured out that this was knocking him out. So I didn't get any like vibe that, that he had a problem with uh, pain. No. So no, that not in this right. movie, it's not, it's, like it's not a factor in this movie, but in the book, it's like, he knows it's not good for him because he needs to be alert, but he can't just be strategic and not take it because yeah. he's addicted right. to it. So it's like an added level of complication. Well, yes. and, and the and thing in the suffering. movie that, that Annie says to him is like, I know that you have a glass of champagne or Dom Arnong or whatever she <laughs> says, and a cigarette. Like you used to smoke, but you don't anymore, but you have one after every novel you complete. So, yeah, you know, that's all yeah. they said about that. The mm-hmm. scene where he sneaks out and then gets back just in the nick of time, but he knocks over the penguin. Right. And they're like, you're really tense that scene because you're like on the edge of your seat. That was a dope he, shot. He catches it, but he puts it back wrong. And you're like, oh, God, she's mm-hmm. going to notice. She doesn't notice for a while, though. No, well, she, she does. Knew. She doesn't bring she does. it up. She doesn't. Yeah. And she knows she it, brings from- it up. She yeah. wants to catch him in the act. Goes, but um, have been out of here twice. I yeah. Know. So when he gets back into his seat, he's all sweaty. And that almost does sort of play into that addiction thing. Like, it's almost like they're alluded to it without ever doing it in the movie. Because she's like, I just need my pills. Like, I really I'm in a lot of pain. I need my pills. So I could see that sort of maybe alluding towards how he was in the book a little bit, maybe. Yeah, if you interpret it that way. But the way yeah. I looked at it, like he was, looked like an addict, almost like feeding no, for I, his pills, the way he was performing. Yeah. And you could look at it. Like that Paul way. himself was performing for Annie. you know. Right. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I think he hurt himself so much of jumping out of the oh, that's it. And everything. Well, so. I think that's the reality of why he's sweating, but he's yeah. pretending that he's sweating because he's withdrawing from these drugs and he's, he's like, no, I need my pills. Like, in pain. Yeah. 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 So maybe that might have been, maybe that was Rob Reiner probably trying to allude towards that a little bit. Maybe who knows? Well, and Stephen King said later, um, he didn't talk about this for a long time, like maybe 20 years after the the book came out, but he did say later on that the character of Annie Wilkes basically represented his substance addiction problem. Mm, Looming over Um, him. Yeah, that's like he could never escape. Yeah, it controlled him. He felt like he couldn't escape. Every time he thought he found a way out, it was like closed to him. So it was like this specter of like, torture that he went through with um, that makes this movie abuse. even even more impressive or just the story in general yeah I didn't know that. and yeah. the fact that like you think it's like oh you think it's good you think this this thing is your friend mm. and then it turns on you it does you know? yeah that's yeah. a, it's a, a fickle drop of friend time. that's mm-hmm. that's actually an awesome metaphor mm-hmm. yeah it's He's probably so good Go ahead. Yeah, it's probably one of the reasons why this book works so well you know yeah. i feel like a lot of times when his when the story is one thing, but it's there's really something else going on sort of subconsciously that I think those are probably his his best books. Would you say this is one of his best books? 
Yes. Oh, yeah. This is in my top five, I think. I think it's also one of the best adaptations of his books into a film as well. 100%. Top five. 100%. Yeah. For sure. What was the book that he was most messed up on? Was it was it Pet Cemetery? Cujo. He's, oh, Cujo. He right. claims he claims that he does not remember writing Cujo. <laughs> That's the one I was thinking. And of. he just fucked up while he directed Maximum Overdrive. Maximum Overdrive. Basically, mm-hmm. he was high the entire eighties. Yes. Yeah. Either drunk or high the entire eighties. Yeah, I, yeah. I read about Maximum Overdrive. Like he had a whole pound of or like a whole mountain like. Tony Montana from Scarface. It's on my list of movies to possibly cast one day. Oh, Jesus. Really? It's, it's great. It's great. It's, it's not a good. bad film. It's a good bad it's movie. Not a, it's not yeah. a bad film. It's got Lisa Simpson in it. I mean, you're <laughs> Smith. I freaking love that film as a kid. I mean, mainly just because of the Green Goblin. I did too. Like when the, that one dude got ran over and it was like the blood on the... And what other movie does an ice cream truck hunt kids down and try and run them over? <laughs> But uh, man, the look on Paul's face when he tries that scheme of like uh, giving the wine to Annie and knocking her out and she knocks over the fucking wine. James Khan's face is just so devastated, like the look of disappointment. He can't yeah. look away from it. She's um, like, oh, I'll just get another glass. Oh, it was like, a good oh plan I'll, I'll too. It. And he's yeah. just like staring at how long it took me just to get those pills. Like, yeah. She, so do you think she knew? It, did, nah. or she just, I do. I do. I, I, I thought so. Like the look on her face was just like kind of sly. I mean, there's a possibility she's very aware of what she has in her inventory and she's aware that he took some maybe, but well, I mean, but he's been saving that... his own meds. Yeah, and yeah. they only took like one extra. I yeah. think she I don't know. I don't think there's think any evidence that she, she knew, but she could have possibly just, oh, well, he's been alone for 30 seconds. I'm not gonna drink anything that's been alone with him, you know, yeah, even if she didn't know how I, I did it. I, I don't, don't know. Got, like she was clumsy like she is that's sort of her character she, and she did seem very like flustered you know yeah. yeah i think she was so overwrought with like excitement and like nervousness about like oh my because she has like a crush on him dinner. right yeah. like he mm-hmm. asked me to have dinner with him and he's making it all maybe he does love me i think that like overrode any of her like better sensibilities to like be careful and pay attention i think she was just flustered i i pick up schizophrenia for him from her she had multiple personalities that she's in love with this guy the, the way she would flip from color is what i read online talk of duty whatever and it was just like she would flip on a dime you know but then that fan in her of like enjoy maybe maybe the book was like her her solace of being innocent you know mm-hmm. she loved misery so much because she had every book she had like a little shrine to paul that it was mm-hmm. just like you know when reality set in that he's not really like what she thought he was that that's when she flipped so yeah yeah don't meet your heroes annie yeah he didn't like live up to her romanticized version of him which i think is probably also what this book is about that like stephen king probably has some like weirdo fans who like have very specific and high expectations of like what he as a person is supposed to be and what his work is supposed to encompass and anything that deviates from that is unacceptable. And that must be a very confining feeling Mm -hmm. for an artist. I saw a wacko story just the other day about this. So I'm on a Facebook group that's specifically for Stephen King, like rare books, like rare collecting And those people are crazy just because of how much money they spend. But (laughs) there's this person who shared a a post 
Um, and she was very proud of this, but she said that she knew he had a court appearance because he was speaking in some trial about a publisher. And I guess it's near where she lives. And so she and her husband avoided the press and hung out at like the back door of the courthouse where they like, for some reason knew he was going to come out that way instead of the front door and sat there for hours so that when he came out, they could get him to sign a book for them. And she had pictures and she was so proud. And I was just like, that is creepy. Like I love Stephen King. I would love to have, I have one autographed book. I would love to have more. I would never do that to him. Yeah. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Cause that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, Oh Lord. Over a lot of lines. Yeah. And I was just waiting for the people in the comments to be like, uh, hey, that's not appropriate. But re- nobody was really checking this person. And I was like, like, how much you want for it? Well, isn't that <laughs> probably? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that a social commentary on fanatics? I mean, obviously, the short yeah. version of fanatic is fan. So you're such yeah. a big fan. Mm-hmm. But if you enjoy a book or enjoy an author, you're not going to sit there and stalk that person. So she's like Stan. But we think we know these yeah. people sometimes because of how much yeah. material yeah. of theirs that we've yeah. consumed. Right, but, but I I've think seen all of Quentin Tarantino's movies. That doesn't mean I can fucking go up to the guy and just like give him a hug, you know? But it seems to me exactly. that, that, that you can Rob show him your feet. Yeah, I, I've never read Misery, but to me, Rob Reiner actually encompassed what this commentary was about of what Stephen King was writing about, you know, of like this fanatic that is willing to do anything to ensure that uh, she gets the enjoyment of reading every single book and the character that he created was not dead because she freaked out the cock and duty car, whatever. And it was just like, you know, why did she die? You killed her. You killed her. You know, it was just like, wow. Well, this book yeah. was definitely ahead of its time in predicting what we today call toxic fandom, where yeah, exactly. because you spend money on a thing and you love a thing, oh, well, I deserve creative input and I deserve mm-hmm. creative ownership over it. And of course, you know, this was long before social media, but like social media fandom like is Annie Wilkes yes. in the digital world, basically. Yeah, yes. If you simple if you simplify fanatic, I mean it's just you're a fan. Uh, like I'm wearing a San Diego Padres jer- uh, shirt right now, right? So I love the San Diego Padres. Anytime they lose, I'm bummed out. But I'm not going to go shoot the pitcher for giving up three runs, right? Because I hope not lost. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, it- Robert De Niro might. He might. You talking to me? <laughs> he was in the movie The Fan. Oh. Oh, that was with Stipes, Stipes. Stipes. He was a baseball player. Yeah, yeah. I missed that one. But I mean, and, and that's the commentary of it. It's just like, okay, let let the artists do their thing and you can enjoy it, but you don't have to be so fanatical about it that it's, you know, if Stephen King stops writing books, you don't have to, or, or, or about your favorite character, you don't have to go stalk him in the back of a courtroom and say, buy my book. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a bit much. Yeah. Did you, did you that. say anything to her, Nicole? No, I'm I'm more of a lurker in that group. Um, so I'm like, I don't I don't hardly ever speak up in this group, so I don't have the authority to say anything about this, but yeah. I wish there was like a cringe reaction that I could have <laughs> Oh man, you know, yeah. you're not a fan. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> you could do like the caring, like the little hug caring oh, emoji, yeah. like I'll I'll pray oh, for honey. you. Like, listen, yeah, exactly. listen, John, I appropriately did this. I sat outside of a Barnes and Noble. <laughs> 
<laughs> at the break of dawn, I stood in a line to get in a line because you had there were only so many armbands scheduled event in yeah. Sarasota, Florida. And then I came back and I had my copy of 112263 and I walked by him for about two seconds and didn't even get to talk to him. But I watched him autograph my book right in front of me and then I moved on with my life. You know what? That's fine. <laughs> That's the right way to you do enjoyed it. enjoyed his book. You enjoy him as an author, but you didn't yes. sit out inside of me. Exactly. I'm not above camping out for hours. Just, sure. you know, I was invited. He's not outside his home <laughs> or a bar mitzvah. He's a no. Everybody no. told you Stephen King's going to be here. If you want your book signed, yes. you wait outside. Yes. He has said he will be here and he will be signing books this day. Right. And so I showed up. <laughs> I happen to know that oh. his favorite champagne is Don Pergnon. <laughs> so one thing that i think is a really nice nuance of annie's character is that you know we've talked about how she's like she can be nice and sweet and then you know she can flip on a dime and and be just totally out of control but i think that it goes further like the nice and sweet side goes a little further even i think there are moments where she's actually sympathetic yeah um i think there are moments where you can really empathize with her that she is like really trying to gain like the approval of this person that she like worships. And she is really trying to do the right thing at moments. Like when she's like trying to get him the typing paper and she's like, did I do good? And she gets on the typewriter. Like those are thoughtful things. And it's like, you can tell like how sad she is when things go awry. And you can tell she's like disappointed that he's not, quite how she thought he would be and the book's not how she thought it would be and she's like really excited about this dinner with him and then you know she's embarrassed because she knocks over the wine and she's like desperately trying to like recoup the whole thing and I think there are moments where she's actually sympathetic and I think it's actually kind of like I mean it's like necessary but I think it's like sad when he has to kill her yeah I agree like because you can you can see like glimpses of the kind of person she would be if mm-hmm. she didn't have this psychotic tendency, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and yeah. I do feel sad for her because she does seem so lonely and, you you know, you just you just wish she wasn't a psycho. You yeah. know, just like you said, you're like, I want to go to her house and yeah. like and have some bake and be cozy. And yeah, <laughs> like I want to drink the cocoa that the sheriff didn't drink. Yeah. <laughs> no, you uh, didn't even try you the don't cocoa. want that cocoa. It's got bleach in it. <laughs> but I, well, I, I mean, so this is the thing. She's not like a monster. She's a person who's <laughs> unwell. Yeah. Like she's she loves not, that pig. She does love yeah. the pig, but she's a person who's unwell. Like, mm-hmm. seriously, like, like, let's consider this in real life. If she had like proper psychiatric care, yes. she could be like a wonderful, pleasant person to be around and live a normal, fulfilling life. Sure. You know, but yeah. she's killing people her entire life. She I lied. Know. She lied about everything. Uh, yeah, I know. Her husband <laughs> left her. No, she killed her husband. So it's like, like, yes, I love the character of Annie because you did feel that way. But that was like the purpose of presenting the character like that it was like you you have to like her because she is she seems sympathetic or empathetic at times but what really happened you know because there's she, moments where she feels she seems like she regrets things escalating as far as they have. like I, she wishes she could go back and let him go but she knows she's gone too far now 
So she has to keep him. I didn't get that. We, we have to die. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like, like she's we, not a Freddy Krueger. She's not no. like a no, like but, a, a force of like a, a supernatural force which, in any way. Like she's think, pretty close to reality. No, but she, that's she's what makes her more horrific. Actually, that's, though, the that, fact I, that she's so that human point, is it that that people, you know, you had guys like Ten Bundy or um, um, John Wayne Gacy. It was just like you know, perhaps they had this trauma in their life to where. You know, they're charming and you're like, oh, yeah, and I feel they charmed a lot of those people into their houses. Correct. I mean, and that's the way it felt to me is that she's a serial killer. She she knows how to manipulate people into her house or to get her or get them to like her, mm-hmm. which is why she lived isolated by herself. Um, You know, we don't know what happened. Excuse me. Sorry. That gum. Um, <laughs> we don't know what happened in Denver. You know, she brought up a point of, you know, I, I don't know what I said on the witness stand, but, you know, I wish I could say something different mm-hmm. like that. So did any of you guys watch Castle Rock season two? No, I've only seen season I one. I didn't get to I did season two. And two season yet. one wasn't like the best, but season two is supposed to be really good. And it touches on Annie Wilkes a decent yeah. amount. I think. People, oh, I think it's all about Annie Wilkes, right? Yeah, I think it's right? like her whole backstory. Yeah, I've heard normies say it was good. Anybody who's a Stephen King fan oh. said that it was absolutely atrocious. Oh, really? no. Okay. okay. They said Ooh. basically it's just Lizzie Kaplan doing Kathy Bates doing Annie Wilkes. Oh, and they're okay. like, I don't know why this season exists. Like, oh, no. Mm. Okay. But I haven't watched it either. So that's just hearsay. <laughs> I did hear good things about it, too, when it was well, yeah. One of the things that I read um, when I was researching trivia is that so Kathy Bates coming from the theater world, she was accustomed to extensive like rehearsal and also like a lot of extensive character work and like building a character's backstory, even if none of it is explicitly going to be on screen. She likes to have a sense of her character's backstory. And so she and Rob Reiner kind of worked together on that for Annie Wilkes. And what they came up with was that they decided that she had been molested as a child by her father mm. and that okay. kind of led to this you know, like break in her yeah. psyche and so her eventually led to her victim. killing her father and then it, it kind of you know snowballed from there but you know, the, um, you know, the vibe i got from her character was that she was a fan of godfather like sunny uh, corleone and godfather and she was like fangirling over sunny being in her bed or, or being in her house you know what i mean yeah. I, I mean, just like that fanatical, like, oh my gosh, the guy that played Sonny Corleone's like sit laying in my bed right now. <laughs> oh, because it's James Bond. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it took that, me a second to catch up with you. <laughs> yeah. Never seen The Godfather? I have seen The Godfather. He didn't play Sonny, though, did he? What, what was yeah, his character? Did. He was a Corleone? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's so long since I saw it. What? I love Which the I- moment when she's like, they're talking about something and then she's like oh, i'm gonna get my liberace records yes <laughs> and he's like yeah do that this house will be filled with music <laughs> she's childlike in some ways that was some a moments. weird choice yeah. liberace but you actually saw a picture of liberace like on her wall when james yeah. was going through everything so it was like that was a weird choice but i don't think it's a weird choice i think it's like the same kind of like middle-aged women who listen mm-hmm. to liberace or the same kind of like lonely middle-aged women who read only romance novels i mean that I or, yeah the beatles and they've got beetle like john paul ringo she's too old for the beatles well i'm just saying I, i'm just making a point <laughs> yeah. like, 
you know, no, Jacqueline, you're right, though. She's there's definitely like an archetype of type of women like her from that era of uh, yeah. in real life that are sort of fit that mold. Yeah, Not sociopaths just no, no, but just women who maybe like like maybe single women who are yeah. kind of like maybe like spinsters who, mm-hmm. you know, it's like they it's kind of like their fantasy world. They they read she was watching and... a dating dating show. Yes, <laughs> yeah, was, was watching the uh, dating game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I think that's all kind of like hallmarks of the middle aged single woman, like Liberace, and I think it all fits. So yeah, I think twenty years down the line, is you'll get that same woman like watching an NSYNC video or like Backstreet Boys or something like that, right? I guess I don't know if like middle aged women are like sitting around fantasizing about. I, that. I'm saying later. <laughs> I mean, a, when I'm a good amount, 50 or well, si- I so I love boy bands when I was a teenager. Yeah. When I'm 60, if I'm listening to boy bands, we got issues. <laughs> <laughs> NKOTB forever. So she definitely <laughs> Kathy Bates definitely brought a decent amount to the role, is what you're saying. As far as it wasn't yeah. all just off the page yeah. of the book. No, no. Like, I don't think that was insinuated in the book at all. Anything about being like yeah. molested. If I remember, Nicole, do you remember Rob anything about Reiner that? A lot, it seems no, I don't think we, character. yeah, I don't think we get really any of her background, which is part of the kind of mystique is we don't really know why she yeah. is the way she is. Mm-hmm. That's really yeah, I think that was all though. Kathy Bates working with uh, Rob Reiner on that. Yeah. I'm like really impressed by her. This being her first role on screen. First yeah. Role, right. Yeah. Uh, I think I think this movie makes a smart choice and makes itself more accessible by not having too much gore. Mm-hmm. Like the concepts within it, I think, are really sick and disturbing, but it's not very explicitly gory. And I think that that kind of allows it to be appreciated by a wider audience than just like you know, the horror fans. It's the tension I, that really drives the yes, the fear, you know, the, the scares. The one yeah. thing I really so love, much tension. Yeah, I, I love the outside story of where everybody think thinks Paul is dead. Mm-hmm. So it's like another Beatles conspiracy. <laughs> and only Buster is like the only guy who's really still hasn't given up hope on like possibly finding out what happened. Right. So it kind of pushes off the uh, the search for him. They find the car, and it's just like, yeah, we think he got ate by animals or probably under the snow or whatever. I loved the fact that they kind of just played into that. Mm-hmm. How long is he there for in the in the book? Because he's there for about a year, right? In the movie, that would have no, The movie's only we there see... for like four weeks. No way. No, no, just... because we see the seasons change. No, you don't. I mean, you see snow. You see the snow the... starting to melt, and then it comes back when he's writing furiously. Like the the storms, like snow comes back. Well, it, look, it might be it another storm, like but it's not. Mm-hmm. Again. Yeah, no, I, I think really... it's just another little. Oh, so then maybe I misspoke by saying a year because it just seemed like he was there for a year. To me, that that is one of the differences, like in the movie, it feels pretty short, like this is a short ordeal. But in the book, it's like long. I think it's several months. Yeah, he's maybe feels a little less like the seasons came again. It's winter came. uh, A second winter came. I don't think so. I think it's just like another storm and then another winter. There was a line of uh, any telling Paul that he was there for like two days but then it cuts to the scene a buster saying you know he's been gone for like a week or two or something like that mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I don't know I mean it's very ambiguous as as far as how long he was there I feel like there was a specific mention somewhere to like four weeks 
I can't think of who said it, I but I feel like Ola somebody said that. Only four weeks. It feels like so much more time. I, it, I mean, it, I agree with you. I and, agree and with I, that too. Because and in the book, like he, Nicole's right. In the book, it was much longer. But because he, he gives in it. eventually to like, yeah, like I, I, she tells him, like, I'm not here. I'm not trying to save you. You're here to stay. They do show his legs as as if they're like healed up before the, the hobbling happens, right? Like she was like they're kind of normal, but like and those weren't just healed. I don't know. Four weeks is those his legs look like shit. No, at the beginning, yeah, absolutely. It looked horrible. Like yeah, it was so bloated. It looked like shit. <laughs> they looked terrible, but I, I mean, like before he got hobbled, they looked kind of normal. Yeah, mm, I thought they still looked pretty swollen and discolored. I don't. Yeah, think. they look pretty bad. Mm, yeah, I, know, I just took like he, out the window. They like the, elephant legs. The weather yeah. changed out the window, and it looked like there was a thaw to the to the snow, and then the snow came back heavily as he was riding. And I just took that as like he's there for about a year, but mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Could have been. That's why I put it in my reach around. I don't think it matters too too much. No, no. I just got to go but, back um, and rewrite my reach around. No, don't. <laughs> you got to re-reach around. Mm. <laughs> um, Hydroberg, I agree with you though about the tension is what really drives this. Um, like we don't need a lot of gore for it to work. I think all the times when. James Khan is so like tense, like waiting for her to drink the wine or like trying to get back to his room. All the times that he's panicked or like really in suspense about something, like we feel that too. It's just great acting. It's not even like yeah. score as much. Like score, yeah, it helps, but like it's mm-hmm. more just the acting. Yeah. The, the the cat and mouse game, the back and forth between him and Annie is what drives this film. Yeah. So I think that that's the, like, that's, just, it just works. And that, I think that, that acting on James Conn's part, James Conn's parts, and then the unpredictability of Annie Wilkes yeah. on Kathy Bates part. I think those are like the major triumphs of this, of these performances. Has James Conn ever spoke out about this role? Like, does he really appreciate this role? Or is it like one of those roles? You know, some people do roles, they do a horror film. And they're like, oh, it wasn't my best work. Or I'm not like, they don't think fondly of it. I feel like this is a good James Conn role, though. So I don't have specific info about that. Like, I've never heard anything where he has spoken out or like disavowed it or been like, oh, I, I don't like that film. Or, oh, I don't do, I didn't, I never did a horror film. I've never heard anything like that because um, I, I hate it when actors do that. But I do know that he and Kathy Bates did not always get along very well on oh, the wow. set because they came from very different acting worlds. Yeah. So her coming from theater, they, she was accustomed to a lot of rehearsal and he was much more kind of like a, you know, play it by <laughs> ear, just yeah, kind of like see what feels right and just go okay. for it kind of thing. And she would get really, really frustrated because she was trying to like work with him and like run scenes with him. And he just like didn't want to do it. And so she would get really pissed and complain to Rob Reiner about it. And he'd be like, well, yeah, I can tell you're really frustrated. Use that in the scene. Yeah, against him. Like, I'm not going to tell him what to do. <laughs> well, no, no, no. It was it was more. No, because he did try to compromise yeah. some and he tried. He did try to make them rehearse a little bit more. So like more than he would have liked but less than she would have liked so you know somewhere in the middle um but yeah sometimes he would just be like yeah i can tell you're pissed we're gonna shoot now use it in the scene <laughs> like <laughs> well, it works um so i he, i don't think he like hates this film but i i do think that there was a little bit of animosity between them it sounds like they kind of got on each other's nerves a lot it so, works for the film yeah 
Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've hit on a lot of major stuff. Um, anything else before we give our ratings? I do love um, uh, one thing that bothered me a little bit. Like, I love the fight in the end between them. Mm-hmm. Like when they actually do scuffle. And like you mm-hmm. finally get he gets to put his hands on her and like take it out on her. like I love how he burns the fucking novel and then crams the burned pages into her mouth. And he's like, yeah, Eat it, you bitch. <laughs> like, oh, it's just like he's like cursing at her. It's just excellent. And the um, the only thing that took me out of it was like when her head falls on the typewriter. It's like a clearly a dummy. Like you can see that. But um, that's a minor gripe. And I just love the ending of how Paul is like still haunted by her image mm. later. And when Great he sees ending. another woman who he thought was her for a second, he didn't bug out, but he says, as he's saying, like, I still think about her constantly. Yeah. And he sees, you know, he doesn't let it on that he's seeing her at this moment. And then he sees who it really is. It's just a random waitress. But she says, I'm your biggest fan. And then we just end there with him grinning. I just thought that was a good ending. It's a beautiful chef's kiss at the end. I don't know what the ending of the... Uh, the books like but that's just a really good somewhat like that novel in it. yeah i think it's pretty similar like he's gonna he's gonna live on but he's gonna live on with this memory forever yeah as he should i mean it's a he never wants to hear cane. anybody say that again i love the fact that he's got a cane and he's hobbling along oh yeah just kept with the continuity of the movie it's like 18 he's months cool. later yeah exactly so i i thought that was beautiful so he's lucky he's walking ever mm-hmm. yeah so snl actually did a spoof of this with um, Simpsons, Dana dude. Carvey, with Dana Carvey playing Dana Carvey, but he's in the Paul Sheldon role. And then Annie Wilkes is Roseanne. Uh, oh, my gosh. I'll, po- I'll post it on our social media. Oh, I got to see that on YouTube. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll post it. Oh, but it was a church perfect. lady. Like, he, he, yes, she has uh, him do the church later or whatever. <laughs> I remember well, so first he's in the car with John Lovitz. Okay. And they're just like chatting about their careers. And he's like, I think I'm going to quit. And John Lovitz is like, great. Can I be the church lady now? And, and then like, they're, oh, and then they get in the car crash. <laughs> and then, well, I don't want to spoil it. I'll just, I'll just post it. Cause John Lovitz it'll be funnier to actually see them doing it than me retelling yeah. it. So I, I, I do remember that Jacqueline. Very, very <laughs> nice callback. Right there. There's also a nod in, um, I don't know if you guys have seen uh, the new girl, but oh, yeah. Rob Reiner is in that show as one of the characters dads. Oh, sweet. So he's not in it very often, but there's one episode where he comes to visit his daughter and he's sick. And so like he's in bed and they do like a little spoof where she's like Annie. I mean, like it's really like blink and you'll miss it. So like if you're not, you oh, know, wow. a real committed fan, you might not notice, but it's a really, really cute okay. little nod. Good things about that show, too. I never watched it, but love it. It's a good show. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that. Um, Before we just do reviews, are there, are there any other book things you wanted to touch on? Sure. Anything <laughs> worth noting? I know you have a, like a huge list probably, but uh, I don't have a huge list and we've talked about some of it. Um, the it's the big thing for me, and this was more of just a general um, kind of kind of takeaway for me, because I grew up with the movie and I'd already seen the movie many times before I read the book. I read the book maybe two years ago for the first time and I've only read it once. Um mm-hmm. So you probably are fresher on it than me, but I remembered very specifically getting more information about Annie I felt that, like you said, in the movie, you feel sympathetic for her. But in the book, to me, she was more actively like narcissistic and manipulative and felt way more evil in the book. Um, And 
I got the impression that her switching from like sweet to malevolent was almost like she was doing it like to be manipulative. Whereas in the movie, it feels very much like this is just like you said, she's mentally ill and this she can't really help it. So in the book, I actually think she's scarier than she's in the movie. Um, And just in general, like I've always thought this movie was really like scary and difficult to watch. But the, but the book was the book really was scarier for me. Like it's more brutal. Um, so getting into some of those things, like there's no, like I said, there's no sheriff and his wife, but there is a sheriff that comes to the house. She runs him over with a lawnmower. Yep. In gory detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, she cuts Paul's foot off with an ax, like we said, but she also carterizes it. Um, so that's pretty good. Blade out. Ugh pretty hideous and then they kind of mention offhand at one point that she also slices off one of his fingers with a electric carving knife oh i forgot about that yeah and it's just sort of mentioned like offhand as he's talking about something else he then remembers her cutting his finger off and i was just like whoa what happened (laughs) um so there's definitely you know. more there's it, the book is definitely rougher as far as like the, you know, the violence goes. Um, one of the interesting things um, is that, so, you know, Paul is just like, he's over misery, doesn't want to do it. And then of course, Annie is demanding this like amazing sequel after he's killed her off and all of these things. And at first he's like, how am I going to write this? I don't have any ideas. I don't want to do it. But by the time he gets done with it, he is actually like into it. (laughs) And so when he has to destroy it, it actually makes him a little bit sad because he Uh, has come to like be really energized by this book and, and feels that it's really good writing. Um, So there's, I don't know what the lesson is in there, but I feel like there's some kind of like poetic irony in that situation. Do they give you any idea of the book that he wrote before that? Because obviously it was like a flashback of Fast Cars, the one with the profanity. Yeah. The bitchly corn. Not really. It was untitled, no. but like no, I, don't, they, I don't think so. But in the novel, you do get like long passages of the new oh, book, new book. Oh. yeah you like yeah. there's like several chapters worth that you basically read so yeah and they it like weaves in the themes in his book with like what's going on with annie so there's yeah. like some crossover stuff that's kind of cool um so last note from the book is that okay so we watch paul go through this arduous journey in the movie and we feel it but in the book he i mean he is like a broken down shell of a man by the time he gets out like it seems like he doesn't have a will to live you feel like he's never going to recover and he does start writing at the very end of the book so there's like a ray of hope but i mean he is just like completely ground down into almost nothing and there are plenty of times when he just wants to die so that to me again was just much darker than the than the movie um and also i would as i was looking through passages um, I had forgotten a detail. So he beats her to death and she dies in the movie. And that also happens in the book. But like after he's had his fight with her, he takes pain medication just to like pass out, go to sleep, like numb the pain. And in the meantime, he doesn't know this, but she like got up and stumbled out to the barn 
and like died in the barn. But the cops find her with like a chainsaw on her hand. So she had gone out to the barn and was going to finish him off. And she died for like of her injuries. Mm. But he didn't really like I was like, oh, my gosh, that's terrifying. Then he thought he killed her and he didn't, you know. It's like a little too close of a call. Yeah. And I had forgotten that. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I forgot about that. She really will not die. (laughs) Because we get that moment where she comes back after the Mm -hmm. typewriter or after the, uh, you know, the initial scene. We think she's dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And another fun little little real life parallel is that so um, Stephen King was involved in a car accident that almost killed him. Mm-hmm. And um, he was hit by a driver. He wasn't driving. He's, he would go for these long walks every afternoon. And um, this van came up over the hill and and hit him. And um, he almost died. And I, it's there's just the parallels with that are kind of interesting. And then, of course, he was clean when it happened. It happened in 99. He was clean, but he had to, he was in the hospital for a long time. He had extensive surgeries. And so of course they had to give him pain medication and he became addicted to pain meds again. And that's when he wrote dream catcher, which is another like drug fueled craziness. Um, of course, by that time he knew what his limitations were and he was able to get, get off of that dependence, but he did like develop a dependence on, on pain meds. And so anyway, just those two stories, the fact that he wrote misery over a decade before he had his own accident where he was, you know, basically bedridden for many months was uh, just one of those, those weird, one of those weird life coincidences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last thing I'll say about book stuff is if you liked misery, I have recommended follow-ups, Stephen King follow-ups. If you yes, like misery. So first of all, Dolores Claiborne. Love it. Which I Kathy have not- Bates was in. It is Kathy yes. Bates again. I have not read the book. Um, oh, Nicole. I know. I've heard it so good. So good. But it's this, it's it's another like, you know, like badass woman, except she's not insane, but there is some murder. So. <laughs> um, and then also there is a story, two stories in the same book. There's a book called Everything's Eventual. It's a collection of short stories. Um, Lunch at the Gotham Cafe has this uh, this like New York cafe setting that to me feels a little bit like Paul Sheldon when he's meeting with his agent and stuff and some chaos ensues. So that's a fun one. Is that the one about quitting smoking? No, that one's called Quitters Inc. And that one's also fantastic. Is that from Cat's Eye? Yes, it is. It's a story from Cat's Eye, right? Yeah, it is. That's a deep pull. I'm surprised you knew (laughs) that. Uh, And then the last story I'll recommend is 1408, which also comes from Everything's Eventual. It's about a haunted hotel room, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's got... It's got a vibe that's kind of unexpected. And the reason why I suggest that is because also at the end of 1408, you have another devastated protagonist who has been through the ringer and you're not sure if they're going to be okay. So there you go. Those are all outstanding recommendations. Yeah, with Stephen King Corner with Nicole. So Dolores (laughs) Claiborne, the novel, was written (laughs) with Kathy Bates in mind. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. After Misery. After Misery. Yeah, because Stephen King was so impressed with Kathy Bates' performance in Misery that he wrote, um, he basically wrote that role for her in the book. Um, and also, oh gosh, there was another, there was another film adaptation of something where one of the characters was a male character, but then he heard she wanted to do it or something. Oh, so he, it was- he wrote uh... it for her. The stand, um, the 94, the stand. Yeah, she is a DJ. Ray. Ray. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So she has a little cameo. 
Yeah. Uh, fun Correct. fact. By Mick Dolores- by the way. Mm-hmm. 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 Love Uncle Mick. Uncle Mick. Fun fact. Dolores Claiborne was the book I was reading in public when I met my husband. I was reading at a bar <laughs> outside of a movie theater. <laughs> really? And yeah. And he came up to the bar to get a drink and saw me reading my Stephen King book and struck up a conversation. It's like, oh, what are you reading? Is it any good? Da, da, da. And I went on a whole. <laughs> I was totally <laughs> missing the flirtation signals. I just started like rambling on about Stephen King. So <laughs> he said, that's the one for me. Yeah. So he's not allowed to give me any shit about my horror fandom because he knew what he was getting from the get go. And three so, kids later, three kids go. later. Yeah. <laughs> but yep. If it weren't for old Dolores Claiborne, where would I be now? <laughs> Anyway, all right, time to rate. Yeah. All right, Hydra Berg, why don't you start us off? All right, so there are some spectacular performances, both by James Conn and the real standout Kathy Bates in this film. There are other good actors as well, but it's mostly there, those two people's film. Um, they both crush it, pun intended. Um, but Kathy Bates is just, I mean, I, I when I first saw this film, I just remember her name forever after that. Anything she was in, I remember her. Like you guys said, like there's nothing she's ever been in that's been bad, like her performance as well, you know, as it. uh, She might have been in movies that didn't do as well critically, but her performance is always good. Um, I think the directing is just fantastic. I think Rob Reiner just crafts a great film. He's a good filmmaker, period. But like this is a great um, great horror film uh it's got great cinematography and there's just some great frame scenes like the framing is just really great like we were talking about the zooms in on kathy bates and like he just knows how to like settle in on a scene and just let the actors do their thing and uh like it just sells the film for me um there's just some great performances uh the tension between paul and annie that just builds is just palpable like over the the film it just gets like it escalates slowly and slowly like to the point where you said like Paul starts giving it back a little bit sarcasm and like he gets comfortable enough to talk back, but like you just feel for him, you know, you're just stuck there with him and you're like, Oh, I hope he can get out. And like any time, anytime he tries to get out and he's on top of it, like she's thought about it or she's, she's, she's knowledgeable enough of the surroundings that like she knows where, when he's been out of the room and she's just on top. She's got all the doors locked, every exit, you know, planned out. So I think it just adds to that uncomfortable feeling that you get from this film. Um, the iconic scene of the hobbling is just fucking just the one scene that people know from this film, especially that in the cockadoodie car fucking rant. Like I, I remember that a lot because that just made me laugh so much as a kid when she goes, he never got out the cockadoodie car. It just made me laugh so hard. But yeah, the hobbling scene is just so horrible and it's not even that gory, right? They show the first scene, which is, the first part with the foot, it's bad. And then they don't even show the rest. They don't need to. It's all performing after that. Um, and they just, I think the writing's really good in this film. I don't know, like we talked about how much it's different from the book, but it doesn't seem that different, you know, for the most part. They, they took the parts that really they needed to make a good film and it shows. And uh, I think it's definitely one of the best adaptations of a Stephen King uh, novel. Um. As for cons, so like when I was writing my review, like I tried to think of negatives for this film, but I just I couldn't really think of any, to be honest. Like there's not much about this film that like I dislike. 
my mind went blank and I just decided to Google some just to see if there's any negative reviews. And literally I couldn't find any, I found mixed reviews, but not like one negative review. Mm -hmm. I think it's just impossible to not enjoy this film in some, at some point, like even like we said, like, even if you're not in a horror, there's so many good performances and like, it's like, you could just, just watch the film and you'll, you'll get something out of it. I'm sure you'll love it. Uh, I think it's pacing could maybe be called in the question, but not really. Cause like, as soon as like things get a little slow, something horrific happens or like the, the intensity, you know, builds up a little bit in that scene. And we move on to the next thing, like the sheriff finding out something and showing up to the house. So it's like, every time you think you're getting a little bored at something or it's moving a little slow, this, the movie knows that. And it moves a little faster. Uh, so like, it's not really an issue to me. So honestly, I just can't think of any cons. Like this is a fucking great film. So with that said, I'm going to give Rob Reiner's film adaptation of Stephen King's Misery. I'm going to give this fucker 10 out of 10 typewriters to the head because this, this film is a classic. Wow. wow. Is that yeah. your first wow. 10? No, it's not. And I feel like maybe I've given too many 10s out. Like I've given a couple. Hereditary got one. But like, I just don't know what to say. What is negative about this film? What can you say? Yeah. I love really that negative. you I love that you tried to Google like why would somebody not like misery? Yeah, what are like, I wanted to know, like, what do people misery? that are very critical of this film think? Maybe they can. They Let can me try to feel bit. the same way. <laughs> right. I just wanted to know, like, what do people think? You know, just like how Randy reads yeah. negative reviews sometimes on the fucking podcast. straight So mm-hmm. I was just like, you know what? Let me see what other people think, because I'm not picking it up. I don't know. Maybe I'm just. Why should I not like this movie? Exactly. Like, talk me into not liking this film 100 uh, percent because it's a fucking banger. Yeah. So, I yeah, should have come on and trolled. That's what I should have done. <laughs> you should have done, Nicole. Absolutely. I, like, I was going to give this cock would never come back. I thought typewriters again. to the head was a better unit of measurement. The what? I'm sorry. I was going to give it 10 out of 10 cockadooties. But what is a cockadooty? So I'm you giving it been like cockadooty cars. Yeah, I'm giving it 10 typewriters to the head. All right. Okay. All right. Nicole, would you care to give your rating? Sure. Um, so Misery, like we've said, it's one of those rare horror films that has managed to cross over into the mainstream and gain both acclaim and respect. Um, of course, it gave us Kathy Bates, who went on to win an Oscar for Best Actress in her first major film role. And I also think that um, maybe this sort of set the stage because then Silence of the Lambs was like, I don't know, maybe a year later. Mm-hmm. And people were sort of ready, I think, to take these horror-adjacent movies seriously because then, of course, that one won big as well. So we came out in the early 90s doing really well in creepy genre. Um, but it's also, it's a stellar King adaptation, which are, you know, arguably rare, uh, depending upon, you know, what your definition of good is. <laughs> um, I love the cheesy ones, of course. Like, I love Maximum Overdrive and I love Graveyard Shift. But since I'm such a fan, like it really is a rare treat when somebody does a really good, serious King adapt- adaptation and uh, misery just is one of those that it's just, it was just done right. Um, the changes that were made from the novel to the movie work really well and they managed to add to it, not take away from it. And um, this is probably the only Stephen King adaptation where I love the book and the movie equally. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first read the book, I, I, I was like, I love everything that's different. And I wouldn't change it. But the movie is the same way. I love everything that's different. I wouldn't change it. They each work really well for what they are. And I like can't say which one I like better. And so that's really a win-win for me. Um, of course, the cast 
and the acting is all spot on. I love the setting and the atmosphere and how unsettling it is and how it really adds to the movie. And like, I love a winter horror movie. Um, it's actually really strange for me to be talking about misery and watching misery when it's hundred degrees outside. I was like, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> Cause I watch it almost every winter. It's just, it's a good one to kind of just put on when it's cold outside. Um, and I also really, really like the soundtrack. Um, we've already talked about it, but the use of both uh, Moonlight Sonata and I'll Be Seeing You are really chilling and perfect in their context. And I love how when the credits roll, we get to hear the I'll Be Seeing You again. Like, it's just so kind of like it's, it's a tiny bit of humor, but also scary at the same time. Um, my only criticism is something that Hyderberg mentioned um, all the effects are great, except for that one at the end when we see her fall on the typewriter. You can tell that that's not really her. Um, but that is super tiny criticism. And it's just due to, you know, probably limitations of what they could do at the time. Um, all the other practical effects work is great. I mean, the hobbling. Fantastic. Um, so uh, in conclusion, uh, I would say Misery is both a well-crafted drama and also a scary horror film. Um, I think you can watch this movie with horror nerds or with normies and you'll have a happy crowd. Um, <laughs> it's just a good movie that has really managed to rise above uh, simply genre and a territory that few horror films ever really occupy. So 10 out of 10 ceramic penguins. Oh, Nicole's switching up the units on us. <laughs> All right. John, what say you? No, Jacqueline, you go first. Okay. Well, um, it's it's hard for me to talk about my, my rating of this film without talking about the book. Um, I love this film very much. And for all the reasons that we've that we've talked about, I think there's it really works and I think Rob Reiner made some really really smart choices um and combined with like the perfect actors for these roles um I will say that like Nicole you highlighted some of the dark parts of the novel that don't um get translated into the film and I think that like in a way, I do see that as a little bit of a loss. So I, I do disagree with you a little bit. I think the movie, if you if you consider it as a standalone film, I think it is nearly perfect. But if I think about it in relation to the novel, I feel like Stephen King really like had the balls to go to some dark places in the novel. And I feel like Rob Reiner in the, maybe twofold, maybe both in the interest of like, having a wider audience, but also from his background in comedy, I feel like he shied away from some of those things and like didn't have the balls to go there, nor would I expect like necessarily a director like him to, to do some of those things. Um, but also I, I do think it's why it has achieved such mainstream success and like toning down some of the darker elements. And I do feel like some of the levity that we see in the film is not present in the novel. Um, yeah, I'd seen the movie many times by the time I read the novel. And then I, I remember when I finished the book, I was like, whoa, yeah. um, I felt like almost kind of like emotionally exhausted from reading the book. It was really, um, intense. 
And so it's hard for me to to look at the film just by itself, um, just because of having having the experience reading that book. Um, I wouldn't want to change the film, but I might be interested in seeing a different version that stays truer to the book. Um, if there were some way to find like actors who were just as amazing who could like inhabit those roles but see if it would explore some of those darker parts of the novel. I think that would be really interesting um, and maybe a little more to my personal tastes. Um, but I, I think that like just Stephen King, like really was like brave almost and like going to some of these really kind of scary, scary places in the book. Um, so with all that taken under consideration, I will give Rob Reiner's Misery, nine out of 10 cock duty cars. Because <laughs> apparently we're wow. changing the units for everybody. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with Ceramic Penguins because I like that. Okay. <laughs> Nicole had the balls to change it on me and I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with 6.5 Mustang, I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> John, hit us with your rating. <clears throat> oh, you guys all hit it. Uh, all the acting was perfect in this movie. I actually saw Kathy Bates as being a psychopath, um, not empathetic at all. You know, she played the role perfectly, which is why she got the Academy Award. So, um, yeah, I can understand why you felt like maybe you can feel empathy towards her, but she didn't show me that. But she did a phenomenal job, uh, a job, uh, James Wood or. Uh, James Caan. Imagine this film with James Wood. Oh my God. Ooh, piece of candy. <laughs> um, James Caan did so good in this movie. He played along with it so well. I, I thought their chemistry, even if, you know, with the trivia that they didn't get along, came through like really nicely. I, I love the score of this movie. I love the cinematography. And it, you guys have all mentioned the uh, practical event. Uh, effects of this movie looks so good and it's not reading the novel it's just it's hard for me to knock this movie for anything so i'm gonna give it a 10 out of 10 uh 65 mustangs whoa we're all over the place with this one we are but i would say like you guys said uh you don't have to be a horror fan you don't have to you know be a horror nerd to watch this movie and just get some enjoyment out of it Kathy Bates kills this. And and again, I think she is our next gem. She's our next uh, uh, Betty White. Because anything you see her in, you love her. You're drawn to her. You're you're focused on her character. So, sorry. It's a 10 for me. But watch it. All right. Wow. I I am the odd one out for once. All right. Um, Yeah, get with the program, Jacqueline. I know. It's a movie night book, okay? It's my opinion. It's just, my, like, it's just like my opinion, man. Instead of just showing, yeah, man. It's like fucking the dude, bro. Well, now I want to see that. So I want to see that more, that darker adaptation now, Jacqueline. I, I didn't Kathy think I needed it. Play. Now I feel like I need it. <laughs> well, so who could be in it, Nicole? Who do we think could be in it? Oh, We're fan casting. Lord. Yes. Mm. Fan How about Happy Bates? <laughs> like they did As Paul Sheldon. Too. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh god, I'm trying to think of like an actress who has the same. Like instead like, of showing the uh, 
the Mustang maybe coming Gaga. down the road, we could have spent more time with Paul in the beginning to show like maybe about maybe Lady's Gaga. addiction to pills. Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga is like five foot one and could not. She's not that pull imposing. a man out of a car. I think the fact that Kathy Bates somebody, is a like, little bit heavier imposing. of a woman, like, is yeah. Annie's supposed to be like that. she's yeah. supposed to be strong, so it, yeah, it, it would need Bates to be a so like she's corn fed. Yes, no, but she 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 just felt like this small human being. Mm. Yeah, <gasps> I got it. What? Octavia Butler. Spence. Who's that? Octavia. She was Ma. Yeah. Oh, Octavia, Octavia Spencer. Spencer. Oh, okay, okay. Oh my God. Okay, Octavia Butler is a writer. Sorry, oh. Octavia Spencer. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see Ma. I was like, why are you guys reacting? I know the actress you're talking so about. The, Nicole, yeah. you and I went like Octavia Butler, Spencer, <laughs> Octavia Spencer. And then I was like, wait, <laughs> is this just somebody I don't know? And my okay, am based I on the way she played Ma, I didn't see the movie, but yeah, okay. Oh I my God. That. Oh, yeah, that's actually perfect. I love that. Okay, well then, what who about Medea? Who would be Paul? Idris Alba. Done. Sold. <laughs> okay. I have a hard time fig- like thinking of Idris no, Alba no, like no. alone, he's too like strong. in the bed. Yeah, he's too big. Oh, yeah, he's somebody yeah, a little no. bit more strong. And like honestly, I mean, I never would have cast James Con though, because he's this like tough guy, you know. And Paul's supposed to be a writer and somebody artistic, somebody thoughtful, but it worked out. So. It- you know, I don't know. I don't know. Dwayne it would take Mark me Johnson. time to think about it. He can't be that big. Like, she's still got to be able to pull him out of a car and lift him into bed and stuff. Yeah. Ryan, can't be the Ryan rock. Gosling as Paul Sheldon. Uh, <laughs> okay. No. I thought you were going to say Ryan Reynolds. And I was like. Nah, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess. How about Bradley Cooper? Oh. Yeah. No. Oh, you don't think so, Nicole? Nah. I don't know. I I don't know. I mean, after seeing Nightmare Alley, maybe. Yeah. yeah that's what I was just thinking. Who Ooh. seems writerly? Okay, I know who. You guys might not know this person, totally but his, his his name is Donald Gleason. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes. The kid from Ex Machina. Yeah. Kid. I don't know why I'm calling him a kid. He was an adult in that movie. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I love him, and like he hasn't been in enough like high profile stuff. One more thing. Uh, Christian Bale. As what? As a typewriter? What? But he's a method actor. He could play. I feel like we need somebody who's not like a big name. We need somebody kind of like mid. Who's Buster? Who's playing Buster? Well, he wouldn't be in this adaptation. This is this is me and Jacqueline's true to the book. Are you serious? Adaptation. James Woods. There you go. Ooh, he's desperate. Leads him to the house. Ooh, he's Kenny. How about Jeff Bridges? playing buster he's not really it's not it's like a deputy or it's like a nameless deputy he yeah goes, it's just goes a to the house like once he's yeah. like a throwaway yeah. character we're throwing it out there i'm just who do you him. want to get uh who do you want to see get run over by a lawnmower because that's what will happen to this Nicholas Cage. that deputy from um, no not the lawnmower no the deputy the from uh sinister hold on oh deputy so-and-so james Ransone. yeah, yeah. that would be a great gag yeah. How do you get run over by a lawn- lawnmower? How does that happen? Well, it's been in two movies now, or a book and a movie I'm with now. Hyderberg. So I didn't believe really it that much. So we read it to you? Oh, <laughs> yes. Please, story time. <laughs> well, I mean, you have to be incapacitated in order to be like sitting still long enough to be run Nicolas over. Cage as Buster would be perfect. <laughs> I still God. don't feel like we've quite landed on our Paul Sheldon, though. No, you're right. 
I don't know. Who seems writerly? Uh, I, just, I need a list. I need a list in front yeah. of me. I can't do this. Casting yeah, I, need to, I need to look yeah. at faces like IMDb. We'll come up with this. We'll pull. We'll, we'll ask people on social media for their input. Well, like, how old do we think Paul Sheldon is? Is he over? Is oh, he that's 50? a good question. So, no, like, I would say early 40s. For our emails, we should do, how would you recast Annie, Paul, and Buster? Daniel okay, Craig Buster is not, not going to be in, in it. No. Daniel no, Craig Buster has to adhere to the Paul rules Sheldon. that Nicole and I have set. There's what do you think no about Buster. that? Buster. Daniel Craig. He's too old. No. He's too old. Yeah, he's like 60. Yeah. Daniel Craig? Is yes, 60? he is almost 60. He's How about 59. My... He's 59. And I know this because Joe. What about Hugh watched... Jackman? No. How about Miles Teller as Paul? Mm. Too young. Too young. Yeah, too young. <laughs> Throw names out there. Hold on. I'm going to Google <laughs> actors. Elijah Wood. Exactly, he's only 52. Their... Elijah Wood. Daniel Craig He's only 52 years old. I think he's 59. I'm saying Elijah uh, Wood as Paul. Okay, yeah. I can see that. Actually. He looks like you're too baby faced. But which yeah. works out perfectly, though. Up and coming writer. That's Leonardo Who's DiCaprio. No, I think I I feel like you need somebody less known. As... Sam Jackson. I'm sick and tired of this motherfucking bed. <laughs> and this motherfucking typewriter. <laughs> There's too many cuss words in this book. Bitch, that's just how I talk. Oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. This... What, what about uh... I need to get the his bed. Or not. Oh my god! How do you feel about Tom Hiddleston? Jack oh, Ooh. Mm. oh, that's actually pretty good pull right there. Oh, he's cultured enough that I could see him as writerly. Mm. And it, and it, I would not mind that. seeing Octavia Spencer beat the shit out of him for a while. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. That could be good. All right, we're on to something. That could I be think, really and good. I think he's got the chops and like the range. I think. Oh, I think so it. too. Oh, I think so too. <laughs> mm-hmm. That so could that axe, could really we're work. Going axe to the foot, not howling. Axe. I say we keep the oh, yeah. hat. Hold, hold on a second. Sticking with the book. Hold on. Can mm-hmm. we can we go with the uh, text chain that we had going on of how we recast this? You oh, you want to continue this on text? You don't want. There's not much you don't else think- to cast. No, no, no. I'm yeah, talking about the text that we did that Rob Zombie could direct this. Oh, God. <sighs> oh, God. And oh, wait, you mentioned Rob Zombie. There you go. Oh, well, who would direct the first it? one? That who would direct one? it? Nice, do you think? nice pull. No, 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 no. Rob Zombie would direct. Mm. Bill Mosley would play both parts and then Sherry Mood Zombie would play the. That's right. I forgot yeah. we were talking about that before. Right. So I came up with the idea of having Bill Mosley in both parts. And then John made it silly by suggesting Rob Zombie to write and direct. And I had a serious idea. And then he well, you said, went you off said the rails. Bill Mosley as Annie Wilkes, I think. And I said, no. both parts? <laughs> yes. Somebody said both parts. Yeah, we <laughs> just me. make it a whole Mosley production. And then I because <laughs> I accidentally typed Mosery instead of misery. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, and we were what, like is what is that? that? Is that is that misery <laughs> with Bill Mosley? I was like, oh, yes, in both roles. Oh boy. So, but then anyway. John had to get silly with it. And then Sherry Moon Zombie could play the sledgehammer. Typewriter. Sledgehammer. We were trying to we were trying to play a fun game and you had to go and ruin it. An act, <laughs> this we is need- why we can't have nice things. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm anyway, so sorry. I don't know who would direct it, but I feel like we should think about that and come up with an answer. I mean, yes. off the top, 
I would say Mike Flanagan. Scott mm. However, I have one big problem with Mike Flanagan and that all his indie endings are like super sentimentally sweet and we need Can't a good hard hitting ending. So maybe he needs to bring in That's like why we do Scott Derrickson could be Derrickson could be good. You know, I'm keeping my fingers crossed because Scott Derrickson just did Joe Hill, an adaptation adaptation of a Joe Hill property. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, there's no way he didn't meet Stephen King somewhere along the way because he was supposed to do a different Stephen King adaptation. So I'm hoping that that becomes a reality. And by the way, all listeners, Joe Hill is the son of Stephen King. So, yeah. Yeah, Thank you, John. Thank you. Yeah. So, okay, let's tag Scott Derrickson in all of our social media posts this week and make sure that he knows that we want him to specifically direct Tom Hiddleston. Is that his name? Hiddleston? Yeah. And Octavia Spencer, not Butler, in a true to the novel adaptation, film adaptation of Misery. Let's make sure he knows that. I'm sure. You know what? He's going to listen to this, so he's going to know already. I mean, I know, I know a guy who knows a guy. <laughs> What about a series? No. No, no, no. I want to film. They yeah, already, save that for a different property. They already did yeah. that with Castle Rock, right? Yeah, that yeah, it sounds like it did not go well. So let's yeah. abandon that. <laughs> All right. We got it. We got it figured out now. Okay. No, no. All right. Um, I don't really have too much trivia beyond like what I kind of sprinkled in throughout. And uh, yeah, I think yeah, we got plenty th- there's of a ton knowledge. of it. There's a ton of it. And so I think that's that's sufficient. That'll suffice. So next, if that's okay with you guys. Sure. Yeah. But next week, John, it's your pick. Well, I threw this up in the air to Hyderberg. He denied it. We are going to watch Allegoria. From Is there a veto? Can we veto on the nope. spider? Nope. No, we did. No nope. brother oh, of Rob Zombie. We'll watch that's it. right. It's on Shutter, right? It is on Shutter. And All right. Another special guest next week, Anya Gold. Very nice. Yes, the movie you is really called... putting her on the spot now. No, she knows she's going to be here. All right. Okay. Well, she'll probably be here. You know. Yeah. There's there's life and stuff, but um, yeah. So next week, Allegoria, directed by Spider One, Spider Six, with Anya Goria. Yes. <laughs> Her name is Anya Gore. Yeah. <laughs> John, you okay there? I'm fine. I, I just laugh a little bit. Sorry. Uh yeah, the I think it's the feature the feature film debut, right? Of uh Spider One. Is that yeah, right? So it's gonna be a masterpiece, obviously. Well, I mean, it could be just as good as his brother's film debut. Or better. Yeah. Or better. Who knows? So, yes, Spider-One is the brother of Rob Zombie. This is his feature film debut. Mm-hmm. So let's check it out on Shutter, and then meet here next week to talk about it. So that's where we'll be. And in the meantime, if you would like to chime in with your casting and directing choices for Nicole's and my um, true-to-the-book film adaptation of Misery, please email us at acutabovehorrorreview at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Cut Above Horror. If you want to start a petition why we shouldn't do any more Rob Zombie related films, you can catch us on Instagram at uh, cutabove.horror underscore review. It's not Rob Zombie related. It's his brother. The guy doesn't the even film has nothing to do with him. The guy's <laughs> name is Spider Six. For Christ's sake. I think it's Spider One. Whatever.
And I would actually like to throw it to Nicole. <laughs> Where can they find you, Nicole? Um, so I also have a horror podcast called Light and Shadow, a horror podcast. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Light and Shadow Pod. And you can find the show on any and all of your favorite podcatchers. And uh, yeah, tune in. Actually, do I have a thing about misery? I feel like I had an episode where I talked about misery. Yes, yes. One of my early episodes, um, Dark of Winter. Check out that episode for thoughts about misery and other winter set horror films. Nice. And you can find us at a cut above colon horror review on Facebook. I want to say thank you so much for all the five-star reviews that we've gotten on uh, Instagram or not Instagram on iTunes and on Spotify. Go give the five-star review to Nicole because she is so awesome. We love you so much. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming on. You're going to be a permanent fixture on the show. Five timers. Whether you like it or not. Is it dead of winter? Uh, yes. I see it now. Yeah, it's at the bottom. 2018. Yeah, I think I think that was literally my second episode. Nice. All right. Well, go check out Light and Shadow podcast and also check out Allegoria on Shudder and come back next week to see what we thought about it. It's cock a duty. <laughs> and keep it creepy. <laughs> <laughs>